Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, God says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Fear is probably the greatest tool, I believe, that Satan uses against God's people. Well, there may be one other. Sometimes I think it's fear and laziness. But fear is probably the greatest tool that Satan uses against God's people today. And I think if we would all admit it, if we'd all be just completely truthful, we would have to admit that there are times that every one of us is anxious or has been anxious about something. That's fear. Someone gave a list of six things that most people are fearful of, and I don't know if this is a complete list. I don't know if this is an accurate list, but I thought I would share them. Fear of failure. Well, what is the answer for fear of failure? Well, it's Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Whatever God would have us to do, then God can help us to do it through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is what I call fear from faithfulness. In other words, if I'm faithful to God and I serve God and I speak up for Christ, how will people react? What might people say about me? Well, just look down to our text and God says, fear not, I'm with thee. Some may be afraid of what we call fault finding. You know, people like to find faults with Christians, with find fault with church members and believers. Well, what's the answer for that? Over in Romans chapter 14, it says that we don't have the right to judge another man's servant. I can't judge you as God's servant, and you can't judge me as God's servant, but we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Yes. And then there's fear of the future. What's tomorrow going to bring? What's next week going to bring? Next month, next year? Well, Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, I've mentioned these verses recently. About four or five times the Lord says there, take no thought. And in fact, verse 34 of that sixth chapter of Matthew, he says, take no thought for tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be anxious and filled with anxiety about tomorrow. Then there's fear of feebleness, old age, sickness. That fear will take care of itself, folks. We're all, you know, if we live long enough, we're all going to get older. And then there's the fear of what I call fear of fatality, our own death or maybe the death of a loved one. Remember what David said in the 23rd Psalm, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And he compared death merely to a shadow. For a child of God, that's all it is. We move from here into the presence of the Lord. So those are six fears that we all may have, but God's word has a remedy for each and every one of them. But notice what God says to his people right here in his word in this 10th verse. The very first thing he says is, fear thou not. Don't be afraid. That word fear has this meaning, to fear from apprehension of danger in a sense of our own weakness. In other words, I see a dangerous situation. I see something that's scary. I see something that has potential for harm. And I realize that I don't have the ability to deal with that situation. That's what fear is. God says don't be afraid in that situation. And in fact, at times when you read the word of God, you'll see that it's spoken many times of Israel, sometimes of their enemies. But whenever there was a cause of fear within them, the scripture says their heart melted. 
And that's exactly what happens when we fear. Our hearts melt. Our courage dissolves. And we become afraid. And in fact, over in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, John said this, Fear hath torment. Fear hath... Have you ever been afraid? And you know the torment of fear? Fear has torment. It causes pain. Now, there is some fear, anxiety, that can actually cause physical pain. Maybe stomach problems, maybe palpitations of the heart, maybe some of these other things. And it can create conditions in our lives that are not good for us physically. But there's a greater pain, I think, that fear creates than physical pain. And that's mental pain. If you've ever been afraid, if you've ever, I mean, I don't mean just scared for a moment, but I mean fear, really feared something. You know the mental pain and the mental torment that goes with that fear. And fear is crippling. Have you ever heard the phrase frozen in fear? Frozen by fear? We see people that are just afraid to move. They're afraid to decide anything. They're afraid to go anywhere. They're afraid to do anything. They are frozen. They're crippled by fear. Someone gave an acrostic for fear, F-E-A-R, fear, and here's the acrostic. F stands for false. E is evidence. A is appearing. And R is real. That's what fear is. False evidence that appears real. And many times we're afraid because of false evidence. But look at what God also says to his people. He said, not only says, fear thou not, he says, neither be thou dismayed. That word dismayed has the idea of being bewildered. It has the idea of being perplexed. It pictures someone who is looking around for help. When you start looking around for help, just remember the 121st Psalm, what the psalmist said there. He said, I'll look unto the hills from which cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. So when you're perplexed, when you're bewildered, look up. Look to God because that's where our help is coming from. And so in this one verse, after God says, don't be afraid, and after God says, don't be dismayed, God gives us five reasons that we should not be afraid, that we should not be dismayed, even though we're living in what we believe to be the last days. And the first one is, he says, fear thou not, what? For I am with thee. I mentioned this one to the Sunday school class. I said, I could just stop right there. When God's with you, why do you need to fear? Amen. When God has promised his presence, and that's what this is, because of God's presence, we don't need to fear. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Over 80 times in the Bible, we're told not to be afraid. We're not to fear. Over 80 times. As I said a moment ago, one of Satan's chief weapons is fear. What keeps us from witnessing, what keeps us from serving God the way we ought to serve him. But some form of be not afraid or don't be afraid or don't fear, someone pointed out, some form of that phrase, those phrases, is found 365 times in the Bible, one for each day of the year. So you just find all 365 of them and each day you read one of them, don't be afraid, fear not, don't be afraid. God says don't fear because he's with us. Now, I know that God's with us right here today. 
I know that Jesus Christ is here today. I know that the Holy Spirit is here today. We're familiar with Hebrews 13, 5, where Jesus has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That is a, a promise. That is an assurance from the Lord. But you look at that sixth verse. And we like to quote Hebrews 13, 5. But look at the sixth verse when we quote that because the sixth verse says this, so that we may boldly say, okay, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Folks, the word of God teaches us that we can be, now it doesn't teach us to be arrogant, it teaches us to be bold and there's a line, a fine line between arrogance and boldness. But we can be bold in the Lord and that's what the word of God is telling us. We're all familiar with 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. One of my favorite verses of scripture, which says this, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear. That word fear there means moral cowardice. It means timidity. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but what does God give? But the spirit of, of power and of love and of a sound mind. There's no reason for a child of God to fear today. Now we're gonna go back to 1 John chapter four for a moment. I said verse 18 says that fear has torment. Well, you look back to that verse and it begins this way. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Complete love, God's love, agape type of love, that self-sacrificing love, the scripture says, casts out fear. Now you read verse 19 in that fourth chapter. It says this, we love him, talking about God, because he first loved us. We didn't just automatically one day say, oh, I love God. I think God's wonderful. I just so love God so much. No, we love God because the word of God says it's because he loved us first. Now listen, if we love God and we know that God loves us and we know that God cares for us, that should just assure us that he's with us all the time. God's not going to leave us. God's not going to go on a vacation. Psalm 46 verses 1 through 3, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will we not fear, listen to this, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Earthquakes, storms, Whatever we may face, the word of God says we do not need to fear. We will not fear because of the presence and because of the power of God. And when God tells us that he's with us, he's not just saying that he's in earshot. You know, we like to think about the presence of God and, that, you know, and we can anytime we need to pray. We can go to God in prayer. But God's not just saying I'm in earshot of you. He's not just saying that I can hear you. Listen to the 139th Psalm, verse seven says this. The psalmist is writing and he says, whither shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell or in the grave, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. You know what he's saying? There's nowhere I can go to get out of the presence of God. Everywhere I go, if it's up into the heaven, if it's down into the grave, it's out into the ocean. God is there. God says, don't fear, I am with you. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The Holy Spirit indwells us, folks. The entire Godhead is there with us. And for that reason, we ought to say, fear not. God's with you. 
Fear not God's with you. But here's the second reason God says don't fear. He says, be not dismayed. I love this one. For I am thy God. I think that's something we take for granted many times. Oh yeah, I worship God. God's my God. Okay. No, God says don't be, dis don't be bewildered. Don't be perplexed. For I am thy God. Now we've already talked about this word dismayed a little bit, but I want to share a few more thoughts on it with you. To be dismayed means to destroy the courage of one through dread or apprehension. And many times we have our courage destroyed, don't we? Because we dread something, because we're afraid to do something. It means to cause one to lose enthusiasm or disillusion then. How many times do we, as God's people, lose our enthusiasm? Boy, we can come to church service and we can get all fired up and by the time we get out the doors, or by the time we confront some situation that is difficult for us to face, we lose our enthusiasm. No, don't be dismayed, God says. It means to upset or to alarm. It talks about a sudden or complete loss of courage when we're facing trouble or danger. I tell you what, you go out in this world, you're going to face opposition. You stand up for Christ in this world, you're going to face opposition. And so many times, so many of God's people back down because we're afraid. We're facing danger. We're facing somebody who doesn't believe like we do. And so it just zaps us of our enthusiasm and causes us dread and, and causes us to lose our courage in that face of danger. Listen, Satan is targeting our courage as believers today. I think that's one of his chief weapons, again, is to just target our courage as children of God. When discouragement comes, you know what happens? Our excitement for life gets sort of drained, doesn't it? You ever been discouraged? You ever been down? It just sort of affects your excitement for life, doesn't it? You just sort of sit back and say, I, you know, we get in what I call alarm mode. <laughs> I'm going to keep my eyes open. I'm going to be on my toes. And I'm not going to let anything bad happen to me. There's a verse of scripture that I read. And in fact, I shared it on Facebook not long ago. And I think the Lord just put this verse in the Bible just for me. I know he put it in there for you. But I wondered when I read it, how many of us does this verse describe? Jacob, Jacob. If you find the book of Jacob in your Bible, get a new Bible, okay? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, we were talking about Jacob in Sunday school, weren't we? Let me try this again. Job chapter 7, verse 4. What does it say? When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise and the night be gone? And I am full of tossings to and fro until the dawning of the day. You ever been there? You go to bed at night. You, and, and I've told you, I don't like the night. I'm not afraid of the dark. That doesn't bother me. But I don't like the night. And the reason I don't like the night, you can't do anything at night, basically, but sleep. Or stay on the computer all night long. And some folks do that. But have you, you just go to bed at night and you think, man, I'll wake up sometimes at 2 or 3 o'clock and three more hours, you know. When does this go? When does the morning come? I want the sun to come out. I want morning to come. And sometimes we have that attitude because of something we're dreading, because of something we're fearing, something's going on in our lives. Well, here's what God says. God reminds us that he is not only with us, but that he is our God. He is the one who can take care of things. Now, what did it mean when God says, 
I am thy God to the Hebrew mind. Well, the word God here is the word Elohim. The uh, whole meaning of this word Elohim is three strong ones. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The word El talks about strength. In fact, we sang that song at the beginning of service. I'm so glad we did. And I did not call and ask for that song to be sung. I love the way God works. What's another name for God in the Old Testament? El Shaddai. We could have sung that one too, by the way. What does it mean? God Almighty. The Almighty God. The all-powerful God. And so when the Hebrew mind would hear Elohim or El Shaddai, he's thinking of the might and the power and the strength of God. You just look up here in Isaiah chapter 41 to verse 4 and look at what it says. Who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first and with the last. I am he. The isles saw it and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid and drew near. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 29 says it this way. Our God is a consuming fire. That's the might. That's the power. That's the ability of our God. Our God is a consuming fire. You look down to verse 7, and he contrasts the weakness of idols to the might of God. So the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith, and he that smootheth with the hammer, him that smote the anvil, saying, It is ready for the soldering. And he fastened it with nails that it should not move. That's what they do with idols. Let me give you a little extended version of that over in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 10 and beginning in verse 3, there in Jeremiah chapter 10. Listen to what it says here. Now this is talking about idols. Well, we're going to go back to verse 1. Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen. Good instruction for us today. And be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vain, for one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither also is it in them to do good. Look at verse 6. For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. You have the idols. They go cut down a tree. They fashion it with the axe or with a hammer or whatever. They nail it somewhere so it doesn't fall over. It can't speak. It can't hear. It can't see. It has absolutely no power. And we have people in our world, oh, they may not be worshiping totem poles and things like that today, but they're worshiping the idols. They may worship men. They may worship money. They may worship fame. They may worship idols that can do nothing for them. But what does it say about our God? It says that he is the great and powerful God. There's none like unto him. Great and mighty is his name. He is our God. There's no reason to fear. Those who trust idols have reason to fear. That's what it said in these verses that we read. Those who trust idols have a reason to fear because they're trusting the work of man's hands. But those who trust God have no reason to fear because I am thy God. Amen. Number three, we should not fear because of his power. Look at what he says. I will strengthen thee. 
I will strengthen thee. Psalm 29.10 says this, The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Don't you like that? The Lord will give you strength. The Lord will bless you with peace. You know who Corey Ten Boom is? Saved a lot of Jewish people during the days of Hitler. Made this quote. In times of fear, I don't wrestle. I nestle. I sort of like that. You know what she's saying? In times of fear, I don't wrestle with the fear. I just nestle up close to the Lord and get close to Him. Currently, there's a commercial running on television. A little boy's in his bedroom and the thunderstorm starts. And you may have seen it. He gets up and runs down the hallway and he gets in bed with Mama. Right? What's he doing? He's going to the place of safety. He's going to the place of comfort because he knows Mama will take care of him. Listen. When we face those times that are frightening, when we face those times where there's liable to be fear, all we need to do is just nestle up close to Jesus. Amen. Get closer and closer to him. That's what it's saying. Think about this. We have within us as the people of God the same spirit that brought Jesus forth out of the tomb. And we have the same spirit within us that empowered the apostle Paul that empowered the Apostle Peter, that empowered all of the apostles and those early churches. Here's what we need to do. We just need to take our self-empowered ways of serving God and submit them over to the Holy Spirit and say, you take it over. Somebody said, oh, I'm just trying to serve God in my weak way. And somebody said, well, quit it and start serving God in his strong way. Quit depending on self. Start serving God. You say, well, God give us strength. Yes, he'll give us strength to serve him. Isaiah chapter 40. I hear this verse quoted a lot of times and applied and misapplied to a lot of things. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 is actually talking about serving God. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's talking about serving God. We oftentimes try to serve God in our strength. I can do this. Sometimes try to preach in our strength. I can't do this. God can. And so that's the lesson we need to learn. The work of serving God is spiritual work and it can only be performed in the power of the Holy Spirit. It cannot be performed in fleshly power. I'm going to read these verses. I've mentioned them a lot of times. Again, some more of those favorites that I have. But listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the power and of spirit, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul did not want anybody to say, oh, Paul, you're such a great speaker. Oh, Paul, you're such a mighty debater. He wanted people to see the power of God as the word of God was shared, as the word of God was delivered. Amen. That ought to be our desire. We have to get ourselves out of the way. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, he's writing, Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he reminds them how the gospel came to them when he says it came in power and in the Holy Spirit. If we just get ourselves out of the way and let God work, we'd be surprised at what we're able to do. Amen. God promises to strengthen us for his service. But there's also strength to stand. Colossians 1.11 says, We are strengthened unto all patience and long-suffering. 
We're strengthened to all patience and long suffering. You know what patience is. We've talked about it before. It's endurance. It's the ability to stand up under pressure, stand up under trials and under difficulties. Long suffering means to just go along, suffer a long time. Aren't you thankful God's long suffering to us? He puts up with a lot out of his children. But God is long suffering. We're to be long suffering. He's strengthened us to patience and long suffering. Why do we need patience and long suffering today? Because the world is going to oppose our stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We just need to get it in our heads that we're a minority in this world. Amen. But our God is a majority. And if, see, we, we spend, I think we spend a lot of time trying to get God on our side. No, that's the wrong order. We don't need to try to get God on our side. We need to get on God's side. God's side's always the winning side. I like to, does anybody here like to be on the winning side? I'll confess, I don't like to lose, folks. Okay? It just, I'm, I'm driven to try to win. Losing's not fun. Losing's not enjoyable. I don't want to be on the losing side. I want to be on the winning side. That's why I want to be on God's side. Because God is always going to win. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 says this, Yea, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Shall suffer persecution. Just mark it down. You live for Christ. You live for the Lord. You're going to have persecution. You're going to have trial. And verse 13 says, Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. If we're waiting around for it to get better, you know, so we can, oh, if it gets better, then I'll serve God. Well, guess what? You're probably not going to serve God. The Word of God says it's going to get worse. The Word of God says persecution is coming. The Word of God says evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. But God says, I'll give you the strength to stand. He says, I will strengthen you. And then there's the strength to sustain. What sustains us when we are reviled and we are persecuted? For the cause of Christ. Okay, I'll tell you. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 16. Here's what Paul prayed. That he, talking about God, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That's where we need to be strengthened. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, and depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. He said, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know the breadth. How wide is the love of Christ? It's so wide it includes everybody. Then he names not only the breadth but the length. How long is the love of Christ? It lasts to eternity. How deep is the love of Christ? It reaches from heaven all the way down to earth. And how high is the love of Christ? It reaches up from earth to heaven. That's how great the love of Christ is. How wide, how deep, how high the love of Christ is. And that is what will sustain us even when we're suffering persecution for the cause of Christ. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and beginning in verse 16. Here's what we read there. 
Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work. Consolation talks about exhortation. It talks about comfort. And that word comfort is the word for the Holy Spirit who comes alongside and encourages and uplifts us in our service of God. God will strengthen us in the good times. God will strengthen us in the bad times. God will strengthen us in the difficult times. Folks, God will strengthen us in all times. It doesn't matter. And then God says, we ought not to fear, we ought not to be dismayed because of his pity. You think God pities us? I know he does. In fact, James says, James 5, 11, he said, the Lord is very pitiful and full of tender mercy. God has great pity to him. I'm thankful that he does. He says, I will help thee. Help means to aid, to assist, one who succors the destitute, one who succors the miserable. That means to, to help them, to aid them. God helped us in the day of salvation, didn't he? Second Corinthians chapter 6, he said, in the day of salvation, I succored thee. That means he helped us. He carries the picture here of someone who's crying out for help and someone runs to their aid. That's a beautiful picture of what happened to us on the day that we were saved, at the time that we were saved. See, when we came to God, how did we come to God? How must we come to God when we come to salvation? We must come in our weakness and our inability. I can't save myself. I'm a sinner separated from God. I can't save myself. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, God resists the proud. We come in our pride and our arrogance and our strength and our attitude of I'm going to do it myself. Folks, it won't be done. No, when we were saved, we came in weakness. We came in inability. That song we sing, in my hand no price I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. When we came to God, we had nothing to offer him. And we cried out. We may not have physically cried out, but from our hearts we were crying out, Oh, God, save me. I can't save myself. I can't do this. And I want to be your child. Romans chapter 5 verse 6 says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for us. When we did not have the ability, Christ died for us. Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses, describes the condition we were in. Dead in trespasses and sins walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that worketh in the children of disobedience. And he says in verse 3 that we were deserving of the wrath of God. That's how we came to God. That's the condition we were in when we came to God. Titus chapter 3, verse 3, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts. He's talking to save people here. Serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. You say, I didn't hate anybody when I was saved. Oh, but that hatred was that. You go to Galatians chapter 5 and you read there what is in the flesh. And hatred and variance and emulation and strife and seditions and things like that are in the flesh. So whether we thought we were actively hating or not, it was there. It was in us. And that's what we were saved from. He says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. We didn't work our way in salvation, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And then he will help us in the day of temptation. Hebrews chapter two, 
Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made, talking about Jesus, to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Hebrews 4 says Jesus is our high priest. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted he is able to succor them that are tempted. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows what we're going through. Whether we're being tested, whether we're being tempted, whether we are fearful, Jesus knows what we're going through. Amen. We have not a high priest who's unfeeling. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 tells us that no temptation has taken us but such as is common to man and that God will with the temptation make a way to escape. In the time of temptation, where do you turn? You turn to God. One of the best things to do. What did Jesus do when he was tested, tempted by Satan out there in the wilderness after 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness? He met those temptations with the word of God. He quoted scripture. If you go back and read in Matthew chapter 4, each time that Satan tempted him, he quoted scripture. You know one of the best things to do to face temptation? Just fill your mind with the word of God. Amen. Memorize some verses of scripture. And then when Satan tempts you, just throw a verse of scripture out at him. A man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Just hit him with some scripture. God will uphold us in the day of temptation. He will sustain us. He will succor us. And so because of his pity on us, because he knows we're not able to bear it ourselves, we ought not to fear and be dismayed. But here's the final reason. We ought not to fear and be dismayed because of his promise. Because look at what he says. I will uphold thee. I will uphold thee. That word uphold means just what you think it means. It means to hold up. It means to support God says, don't be afraid. I will support you. I will uphold you. I'm convinced that many of God's people fall by the wayside because they've tried to do it themselves when it comes to serving God. And I think a lot of times we as God's people are that way toward God. I, I can do this. Lord. I can handle this. Lord, uh, like I said last week, Lord, I'll take care of the little things. When it gets real big, then I'll come to you. No, God wants to take care of everything in our lives. And people fail at serving God in their own strength. And you know what happens? They get discouraged. And they lose their enthusiasm. And they say, I can't do this. And so they give up. And they just quit serving God. And many times when they quit serving God, they fall out of church they fall out of fellowship with their brothers and sisters in Christ and you just don't ever see them again. And I think that's what happened, has happened to a lot of our people. As I said earlier in this message, we need to forget our self-empowered way of doing it, hand that over to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, you live, and this is the key to it. Lord, you live your life through me. We're still on Galatians 2, verses 20 and 21 on Wednesday nights. And what did the Apostle Paul say there? He said, I am crucified with Christ, and yet I live. But the life that I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how I'm able to live. 
It's not Brother Jim doing stuff that God will approve of. It's Brother Jim getting out of the way and letting God do it through him. And that's true for every person. Amen. How does he uphold us? He says, by the right hand of my righteousness. You know, and, and even today, it's sort of different to be left-handed. Of course, they say left-handed people are the only ones that are in their right minds. But, you know, I said that for the left-handers that are here. But the right hand is a picture of strength. And God says, I'll uphold you with the righteousness of my right hand. I'll uphold you with my strength. What did he tell Israel through Isaiah? In Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The very best that I can do in my own strength and apart from God the very best that I can do is as filthy rags. Now, you know what the filthy rags are? I've shared it before. Those are the rags that they used to wrap the oozing sores of leprosy. And those rags were good for, after they'd been used, were good for absolutely nothing except to be burned. That's what kind of works in and of myself and of my flesh I can produce. And we all can produce. Filthy rags. We have no righteousness of our own folks. We stand today in the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the only righteousness that we have in our salvation and in our service of God. It is the righteousness of Jesus. Well, truly, to quote a former president, and you know who he is, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Satan will use fear against us to stop us. It's fear that keeps us from living the faithful life that God intended us to live. Fear failing. Oh, but what if I try to witness to somebody and I mess it up? Well, go back and get it right the next time. You know, just trust God. Don't go in your own strength. Trust God. It's fear of the future. I don't know what all of this is coming to in our country today. Don't worry about it. Hey, God's got it. He's in control. And fear of falling. If I fail, I might fall. Trust God. I'm going to remind you once again, because I love this verse so, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God has not given us the spirit of fear. Amen. God has not given us the spirit of moral cowardice. God has not given us the spirit of timidity. If we're timid, don't blame that on God. Here's what God has given us, the spirit of power. You know what power is? Dynamic ability. The Greek word translated power here is the word from which we get our word dynamite. Hey, we need some dynamite Christians today, don't we? We need some dynamite church members. We need some dynamite believers. Just blow up all over this world, right? Power, dynamic ability, love, agape love, self-sacrificing love, love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, certainly love for God, and love for people who don't know Christ as Savior. And then a sound mind. What's he talking about when he says a sound mind? Temperance. Self-restraint. That's what we need. That's what God gives us. If we're to live without fear in these last days in which we live, we need to remember these five things. God's with us, folks. He is with us. He is our God. He will strengthen us. He will help us. And he will make us what we need to be in his service as his children. 
Quit depending on self. Quit saying, oh, I can handle this. I can do that. I've told you, whenever an issue arises, I don't care whether it's church-related, in my personal life, or wherever it may be, whenever an issue arises, the first thing I do is I, I turn to God because I know he's right there. I hope you know that God's right there beside you, right? And I just turn and I say, Lord, I can't handle this. I can't do this, but I know you can. I learned that lesson the very first church I pastored when we had some issues come up. And you know, God took care of that. And Brother Jim didn't do a thing except give it to God. Trust God. Depend upon Him. Rely upon Him even in these last days in which we live.